You watched them. You cheered for them. Maybe you booed them. You listened to them. You were impressed by them. Today, they share their favorite memories with you. It's the Give Me a Sense podcast. Here's your host, Mike Yam. Well, couldn't be more excited to talk to, I, I would say, we can't say brother from another mother because that doesn't really apply, but we did go to college together. A very short crossover. In fact, when people ask me where I went to school and I say Fordham, typically you get Vin Scully and then the other name that pops up is usually Tony Reale. Of course, you knew him from PTI a while back. Now he's the host of Around the Horn. Good enough to stop by on the show. Tony, it is, it's finally, I get a Fordham guy on the show and I, I really appreciate you coming on. <laughs> Uh, it's great. I, we've known each other now. It's almost 20 years, Mike. That's, which is, that's where we are in our lives at this point. You know, it's almost going on uh, 20 years, which is an insane thing. But that, you can't you can't just go. I mean, it's Vin Scully. It's Mike Breen. It's Bob Papa. Yeah, it's Michael yeah. Kay. It's Spiro Didis. It's Connell McShane. I mean, while we were there, I mean, you look around our business and it's people we went to college with. It's an incredible thing. It's it's truly awesome. And I'll say this too, and I you probably won't even remember this because this, this podcast is all about stories, but I'll tell a quick story. The first time, and you don't I know you don't remember this, because you were you were the, the sports manager at WFUV. You were like the big guy, you know, kind of running the department. And I was a lowly freshman at that point. It was my first meeting, and I didn't join the radio station until the second semester. But you came, it was my first meeting after the meeting, introduced yourself, and you were so warm to me. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, you were out, out the door and you were graduating. But that was my first yeah. experience with you. And then over the years, you'd always stop by and, and check in on the radio guys and, and uh, make sure that everyone was, was on it's, the it's, up and it's up. It's really, I mean, I know I'll speak. It's the same. Tr- it's true for you, I'm sure. I mean, it's so close to my heart. I mean, that's where I went oh, to yeah. college. We went to Fordham, but I went to WFUV. And, that, and that's how, totally I, right. how I feel. And it's, and it's everything that we, you know, you learned how to be at the business and you learned how to make mistakes on air, which is very important, I think. I think <laughs> failure is, ne- it's, a ne- it's necessary in this business to learn from those mistakes, of course, but you have to, you know, you're going to make them and, and to make them, I mean, you, you remember, you remember my, my, my worst call at FUV was a basketball game and John Pugh is the center of the Fordham Rams um, oh, God, with the beard. your freshman year. And, you know, play-by-play, play, and this is what I wanted to do since I was a little kid. I wanted to be the, the voice of the Yankees. I wanted to call the games, right? And play-by-play play has a pace. And a basketball game has pace, pace, yeah, pace. Yeah. And, you know, after you call a basketball game, it feels like you played the basketball game. Oh, yeah. you're, you're, you're speaking a million words per minute. And in the mi- middle of a million words per minute came out, John Pugh nails a hooker in the lane. Now, I mean, this, this is this is what I said, and I know this is this is gonna this is PG thirteen is where we just went for this podcast, but this is true. This, there's tape of this, and I have to live with this for the rest of my life. It came out so fast, and that tape lives forever at WFUV. You need mistakes like that, um, and you you prefer that they're they're early on and they're not on uh, five o'clock weekdays on ESPN. So I'm yeah, glad no, I got those out of the way. You got those out of the way. I'm curious too, because was was Marty Glickman there at that point reviewing your tapes? Yeah, or was uh, he... at that point Marty was still there. So so Marty Glickman was still is, there. I mean, he's the godfather of play-by-play announcers in a lot of ways. Um, uh, he's a Syracuse guy, but he did his work with FUV and Fordham. 
at the end of his life too. So he's really got uh, his his roots are all over the place. I mean, he's worked with everyone from from Bob Costas to uh, to Spiro Ditas, and he um, he would spend one hour in our workshops talking about the play by play from the previous week, and and for the first uh, two years, so the last two years, I should say, at Fordham, it was me and Spiro. And Spiro would get three minutes of, this is very good, Spiro, continue this. <laughs> and then I'd get 57 minutes of him with his hand in his, uh, in his head, and he's just shaking his head, and, and that's what we do. And that's when I realized, you know what, I love play-by-play, but maybe my future in this business might be a different path, and that's, that's kind of what happened. So. And look, it worked out great for you. And it worked out great yeah. for Spiro, uh, who who yeah. is obviously one of the premier play-by-play guys in the country right now, who's also a Fordham guy. Um, all right. Well, look, I want to rewind for a second because you're talking about your career. And a few years ago, it was the 40th anniversary of a talk show at Fordham, which was the longest-running sports call-in show um, in New York City, which, by the way, how many times did you say that over your four years at Fordham? Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. It's a good headline. I, I think you'd lead with that in conversation, so it's good. It, Absolutely. And so it was the it was an anniversary. And of course, one of uh, our mentors who was there, it was a big celebration for him as well. And you were asked to to speak. And your story is, look, there's no typical path. I'm, I, I can't even tell you how many times you get asked, hey, you know, how do you get into this business? I'm sure you're asked a million times as well. And there's no there's no set way to do it. You kind of create your own path. But you told this great story and I want you to share it with everyone on how you have now landed uh, on, on your role right now and, and how you even got to this point in your career considering yeah. where you started talking about players uh, nailing hookers in, in the lane um, at four. Yeah. It's, well, it's a big I'll arc. It's a big arc it. there. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, um, but I'll say this. Personally, for me, the toughest thing for me to come to grasp with initially was that there is no roadmap to getting on air in this business. There just there there isn't. I mean, everybody's got a different story. We you, we knew people who went the minor league baseball route and went to Des Moines to call games. You know, when right out of college, because that's how you would, if you worked in the minors, maybe you can get into the majors that way. Uh, I wasn't taking my act on the road. I don't think my act was going to work in in Peoria. So uh, so uh, I, I wasn't sure how to get on air. And and what it came down to for me was saying. What do I want? I, I want two things in this business. I, I want to stay in New York, and I and I see ESPN as as where I want to end up. Uh, the leader and what I watch was on my house 25 hours a day. So um, how how can I get involved with them? But I, I started writing the nightly newscast sports, uh, the the sports stories for Channel 11 in New York, and then I heard about a job opening at ESPN that was writing trivia questions. This is, this is how I got into the business. I wrote trivia questions for the ESPN's two-minute drill. It was a TV yeah. show based off of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. It was a spinoff uh, hosted by Kenny Mayne. This is in 2000 and 2001. And I researched and then wrote the trivia questions. And I said, you know what? I want to be on air, but writing trivia questions, this is fun, you know? And it really was. I would wake up in the middle of the night with a notepad by the bed, and I would just wail. Who was on deck when Bobby Thompson hit the shot heard around the world? You know? And that's it. That's the question. And the answer to that question was Willie Mays. Um, so I, I, um, I, I was writing trivia questions, and I wanted, I wanted to get on air. I wanted to host. 
I really wanted to host that trivia game show, but it just wasn't going to happen to me at that stage. Of course not. Why would it? So um, I'm trying trying to make my, my way as a writer, and then I hear about a job opening at Pardon the Interruption, which is the show that is going to launch with Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon, two writers for um, the Washington Post at the time. And I'd known them from sports reporters, or at least I'd seen them. I didn't know them at all. Yeah, and I thought, yeah. okay, that's the kind of job, you know, where I could see them doing some interesting things, you know, on TV. Maybe I can, maybe I can, maybe I can write for them. Maybe I can research for them. So I was hired as a researcher, and about a week before we went to air, we're doing mock-ups of the show, working out the camera shots with the camera crew, and Kornheiser and Wilbon are good-nighted, but they still really want to go through some run-throughs. So I'm sitting in the chairs pretending to be Kornheiser on TV, pretending to be Wilbon on TV. And I was also, at the same time, earlier in the day, I was really having some fun with them, giving them information, but really breaking them down in their arguments a little bit. And Kornheiser said, you know, this should be part of the show. You correcting us should be part of the show. I got hired to be a researcher on the show, but they asked me to be a sidekick. And, I mean, I said yes. And of maybe course that, that, of course, that, that's the right answer now. But yes is a word that has followed me in my life. Saying yes opens doors. Saying yes allows for possibilities. And while, listen, <laughs> this business... The jobs I have now didn't even exist 15 years ago. The job, what we're doing right now, Mike, didn't exist 15 years ago. What you're doing with this podcast. So that gets back to there's no roadmap how to get on air. And really, your job, if you want to break into this business, is you have to see downfield a little bit. And you have to leave yourself the possibilities, the openings. You have to give yourself opportunities by saying yes, building a broad foundation. We talked about what we did at, at WFUV at Fordham. We, we were on radio. We were working on our play-by-play abilities. We would have to uh, edit and work the, work the board from time to time. We learned how to call up guests and produce. We were beat reporters for the Yankees and the Knicks and the Giants and the Jets and the Mets and the Rangers and the Devils. And we learned how to ask questions, you know, of professional athletes at games. And you know what those questions start with? They don't start with talk about they start actually with a question. Talk about is not a question. You can't ask somebody. To, you can't say talk about something and stick a microphone yeah. in someone's face. We learned that early on, too. So I got the job at PTI. This is a long story now, Mike. Sorry. No, no, no. Go for it. I was hired it. to be the sidekick. I was, they called me Stat Boy. I found out a week before we went to air I was going to be Stat Boy. And there we were in the first show, and I was correcting errors. But what's that call and home? To be honest. What, what you, you find out you're going to be Stat Boy – on a show that's on on, on ESPN, you call home and say what? <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't really know if it was Stat Boy. We really didn't know what parting interruption was at that point. It what doesn't I matter. Know, you knew you were getting a shot on camera. Yeah, you know what? Uh, uh, go back and watch that first tape, and I, I had no business bragging about being on TV <laughs> at that moment. I was 22 and a half, maybe 23, but I did know Kornheiser Wilbon had something. And this is something that I've tried to carry through. Now I've worked on on three shows over 16 years, um, you know, 17 years professionally with ESPN, I guess. Um, and it's it's a dynamic, you know. It's something we can relate to. And and if I had if you had to ask me, and I wanted to be a play by play guy, and then I got into business as a writer and a researcher, hoping to be a producer and finding out I liked being a creator like that. But but finding myself on air as a stat boy, and then later, of course hosting around the horn and doing work for Good Morning America. But now uh, I would say, you know, I want to be part of 
good discussions and conversations and debates. I want to be part of good stories and having people flesh out those stories. And what I've learned, it's about dynamics that people can relate to and also stories that are relatable and unpredictable. So for Kornheiser Wilbon, those are brothers from another mother. Those are, those are the guys who can have a conversation. I mean, I've seen it. Mike, I've seen it. They, they, they've had fights in the newsroom about who was a better player, Dominique Wilkins or Dennis Johnson. And I'm like, why are you having this fight? And I found out it started in 1984. <laughs> you know? I mean, what is that? So, so I think we all have friends like that. And that's what people, when they watch PTI, which I think is the best debate show in the history of television, not sports debate, any debate. And when, 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 you, when you see those guys going at each other, and you know it's coming from a place of these guys are really brothers. That's wonderful. Around the horn is, is, is the barroom discussion. It's the dorm room discussion. It's the golf foursome among people where somebody's actually, you know, scoring the argument, which is kind of a, a, a fun way to go about it. Uh, highly Questionable, another show that's produced out of, out of our greater family here. That's, you know, two friends, but you bring in a dad there. And how many times have you watched the game one of your parents and uh, had to explain one thing to him or he was – he was dad-splaining something to you, and, and that's what Highly Questionable does at such a great level. For, for me, you know, breaking into the business, not knowing what the role was going to be, saying yes, finding myself in dynamics that I could already relate to, where the conversations went to unpredictable places, that's been key to me. And, and that's, that's replayed itself over and over again in my life. I mean, I, I didn't know I was going to have an opportunity to be host of Around the Horn, and I got a phone call on a Sunday night. It was the Patriots-Panthers Super Bowl. Janet Jackson's boob just came out to the entire world. <laughs> the wardrobe malfunction. Yeah, and I got a call at about 9 o'clock from the producer of Around the Horn saying, we don't have anybody to host the show tomorrow. Can you fill in? You're the only one within you know, 300 miles because it's the Super Bowl and because Bristol's Bristol and we're filming D.C. And that's where I was with PTI. And I said yes. I said yes to, to filling in one day for a show. I wore my only suit to work, Mike. I, I, I did the biggest show you do in the year, Super Bowl Monday. Yeah. I sweated yeah. through that suit. During a commercial break, I took off my jacket to roll up my sleeves to you know, try to be comfortable on TV. And they were like, whoa, put that jacket back on. You're sweating through your shirt. Um, you know, I, I said yes to hosting that show. And the next day, they needed me to fill in again. I put on a different tie. And by Wednesday, I was out of clothes. I was 25. I didn't really know what I was doing. And it's been it's been 12 years since then now. And I'm and I'm, and I'm still still hosting around the world. So um, it, it's worked, and it's and it's really been. I found two shows that really um, mirrored my personality. I think you know, in PTI and around. Yeah, the world. yeah, yeah. How many suits do you have now? <laughs> Just uh, I'm looking at them right now. They're they're crumpled up on the, on the floor of my room here. Uh, I, I like the vest. So I got I got I got partials now. I'm I'm a partial. I've to noticed that. I've I've yeah, noticed I, that. Like I've, that. You know what's crazy I, I to me because you that. said you remember the details of that call though. Like, isn't it? Oh, do you, if you went, do you go through your like? I, if someone said to me, "Hey, do you remember where you were or the when you found out that you were getting the job at ESPN or or the moment?" I still remember the call that I got, and I was filling in on a radio show in New York City. I was on the West Side Highway. And Kristen yeah. Bredis, who is the, the talent director here at the Pac-12 Network, 
I still remember the details of that phone call driving up the West Side Highway. I mean, it's crazy in your career. You just these moments they just stand out. I mean, you know, people will say these these monumental moments in in culture and society, right? Like, where were you when the OJ verdict came? Like, I still remember being in biology class my freshman year in high school and sitting there, and Mr. Lewis wouldn't let us watch it on TV like everyone else. We had to listen to it on the radio. And as soon as the verdict was decided, he turned it off, and we went right back to class. And I remember just being upset about that because I wanted to. But it, isn't it crazy? You still remember that phone call and the details yeah, around it. I mean, you remember what happens to your life. I mean, uh, <laughs> in my life, you know, I mean, in reality, no one remembers that show on Around the Horn. I, I would have been Cato Kalin if you want to continue that analogy <laughs> with O.J. Simpson filling in for that one day. Um, but uh, we were at show 3,025. I just got off the set of Around the Horn, 3,025. Um, and I'll tell you this, Mike, I know we're gonna, you're going to be playing this at some point in the future, but bet big on Bob Ryan today, okay? Bet huge <laughs> on Bob Ryan because when it airs in an hour, you know, you're going like, to like your pick. Uh, I, I mean, I remember, I remember not every show, but I remember a whole lot of arguments guys made. Remember the episode when Woody Page won his 100th uh, FaceTime and – uh, Jason, his assistant, dumped confetti on his head and he swaddled yeah. a little bit of it and almost yeah. choked on live TV. I thought that was a that was a, we almost lost Woody on, on 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 what was taped to live television at that point. And it, that was that was I remember that I remember them all. So um, these are uh, you know it's 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 insane to think because because television ten years is about a hundred years of real life. That around yeah. the horn is now you know going on about fourteen fifteen years and PTI is it's on the other side of fifteen years. Um, they're exactly what I'd be doing if I was at home, you know, I'd be watching these shows. Yeah. So, um, not, not a minute felt like work. When you did that first show, how much self doubt did you have right oh, before maybe, no, you know, it the hours the leading show, to it? Mike, it, was, it was the first 300 shows. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think you have to get comfortable in, in, in your chair and the first words of around the horn when I when I filled in for Max and then, and then took over were these four things I know are true. That's how the show started every day. And what, what do I know? I don't know if anything is true, honestly. And that's not, in my, that's not really my personality. And, and, and I feel like I'm, 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 what you're getting on TV is, is me. I, I, I feel that way. I mean, I would hope yeah. you know me a little bit. Oh, I mean, yeah. I hope my friends would say that, of course. But I don't walk around with a mute button. I think it's kind of a dismissive thing to do. I kind of want to hear all sides of the argument. Uh, but I love shutting them down too. Don't get me don't get me wrong. I mean, I think the mute button is something we got to package. We got to get it on the street. Get get it in the hands of the people. How great would it be to be on a first date and just shut it down if if it wasn't working? Mute, 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 mute. Move on. Yeah. Um, uh, I I remember not being fully comfortable with with the the structure of the show at that time. You know, it was it didn't really. I had to make a concerted effort to rework and rewrite the show along with my producers. And that's why we start the show with um, the shot is on the four guys who are going to be on that day. You know, it's, it's not on the host of the show. I'm not really comfortable in that particular. I think the show needed to be about the competitive nature between the four sports writers. And I don't think it necessarily was when I took over. Um, and that was just for me, my own preference. So those are the type of things that, that took years. And I'm, I'm grateful but I'm also stunned we had the time to, to, to pull that off. Um, I mean, this is, this is 5 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Central, 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Um, these shows are, are ESPN's happy hour. They're, they're the highest rated hour for 
ESPN that's not, you know, a game broadcast on, on, on the daily. Um, and, and we take that very, very seriously. While we take some of our subject matters not so seriously and we like to enjoy ourselves, we take that part of it seriously. So um, there, there's, there's always self-doubt. I haven't been able to eliminate self-doubt. I mean, you know me, and I like to have fun, but every, every day I, I get geeked up to do the show, but I also know, you know, you know, it's something. What you're saying counts. What you're saying is going to be captured. You're not saying it into a, into a chasm. You, you're actually saying it, and people can notice what you're saying. So you, you better deliver. How, how do you handle criticism? Because when you are on one of these shows, you know, I mean, you gotta, you probably got a, like a million Twitter followers, right? And there, you'll probably hear a yeah. ton of compliments, but you're going to hear some stuff that you don't want to, or at least see some stuff you don't want to see. The really bad stuff affects everybody. And when people say it doesn't affect them, I think. That's, you know, I, I don't get the really bad stuff. I've gotten it a few times, and I once read an article in the New York Times saying, what you tweet out, your employer sees, you know? So always know that, you know? And, and that's what I will, when, when something really is below the belt, I'll send that back to somebody and say, you know, I mean, your employer's going to see what you wrote here. You probably should take it down. Um, but, I mean, last week we had a very, Difficult discussion, I think, is how it played out in the end on um, the team name uh, of the Washington football team. And one of the panelists had said something that I would think maybe, you know, I thought, I thought he was in the right to say, but it was generalized on the Internet. And then it became – it's odd. People were accusing him of generalizing, and then they were generalizing what he said and volunteered a few words that he didn't actually say but ascribed them to him. And – and it became something, you know, somebody with 70,000 Twitter followers tweeted it out and they roped in our show. And then I was roped in on that. And to me, I mean, let, let's be honest here. OK, we're talking about, you know, something that is, is offensive to some people. And the poll in The Washington Post said it actually wasn't offensive to nine of 10 Native Americans that they polled. That's an interesting story to me. Yeah. Um, and that's perplexing. That's, that's actually surprising to me. But um I also think it was an important story for us to do, and those stories, you know, quite often they get they get pulled one way or another, and and then somebody you know ascribes something to, to somebody that they didn't actually say, and that to me is you know something I think the show has to defend itself for, and I did, and and I felt at the end, you know, maybe maybe I I didn't need to do this because you get you know you're you're really in a place where you're chasing your tail and everybody is is a little too worked up. It's tough. I don't think anyone has figured out how to deal with criticism, you know, like that or, or something you feel is unfair criticism. But in the end, I mean, I do enjoy it. and I do enjoy feedback. I think it's an, it's an important part of, of growing as a show. So I'm, I'm aware of what people are saying and, and you need to consider it. Uh, I do want to I want to ask you about some of the stuff that you do away from from television. But I think it's fascinating because when you get to the level that you're at and you talk about criticism and some of it, of course, is going to bother everyone. What's that? What's that low point? Because I think there's so many highs, whether it's the Good Morning America, it's taking over around the horn. It's it's being, you know, even that start on PTI. What's the what's the low point, though? I wouldn't call it a low point, but I would say I, I wear I'm a Catholic and I wear an ash every ash Wednesday. I, knew, I had a um, feeling you were going to go here. Yeah, that's once a year, you know. And, and honestly, I'll be honest with you, Mike, you know, I, 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 I struggle with the publicness of it a little bit, too. But I, 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 in the end, for me, and I've done it every year I've been on TV, um, 
it's about being true to who you are, you know, and, and I, I really, I value and I, I like, I like the people I work with to be their most authentic and true self. Um, and I, I demand it of myself above all. I, 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 I try to give it every day in our normal discussion, but on a day like that where I, I go to church Sundays and I go to, to church on Ash Wednesday and I get my ash, I'm going to wear my ash on TV. Uh, I think it's wonderful and great. I'm grateful to live in a country and, and work for a network that allows me to do that and would allow someone of a different faith to do that. And my faith is very personal to me. My family, in my family, I married a, a woman who was born in a foreign country, born in North Africa, and Morocco. Her family is Muslim. Um, I have Southern Baptists in my family. I have Coptics in my family. I have Jews in my extended family. And I have uh, atheists in my family. I, More than anything, I believe in people having uh, the ability to choose their own pay, faith and their own path. Um, but, but to get back to your question, you know, I, I wear the ash and I never, I mean, I, I got, I wouldn't call it criticism. I got a lot of questions about it. And I continue to get a lot of questions when I do it. And I struggle with the publicness of it in some way, but I do think the conversation that comes out of it is very important. Yeah. And to be able to talk about, you can be, at, at one point in my life, I was a young person. Now I'm a middle-aged person who, um, who, <laughs> who, who, does, who can stand by their faith and do it on TV. I, I don't bring it up on the show, but it's, it's there on the show. It's visually there on the show. It's not like I, I, I mentioned it, we talk about it, but that's important. So, so for me, that is something that I've been aware of, and it's been one of the things leading a public life that, that has been a tough tough thing for me because while I love doing my show, I don't necessarily love all the parts of being a public figure. That part right there, when, when, when people will say things about you, assuming since you do this, you wear an ash, they assume all things about your faith or all things about your personal belief system. And to me, that's tough. And another example of this would be when one of my, my friends and, and, and panelists on the show, Israel Gutierrez, uh, came out professionally last year. Um, and that was something when I saw that play out, it's not a low point. Again, this, this is actually a very much a high point because I was, yeah. I believe it was a very positive thing. And I know for Israel, it's, it's, you know, a defining moment of his life, but I think it was a very, very great thing, uh, for me, for me to, to see him struggle with hosting his column where he came out. And then, and then we talked about it on around the horn and, um, and knowing that he talked about how he had self-hate, which for me was so difficult to hear my friend say that uh, for so many years. And, and wondering, you know, can you imagine what it's like to hit send as you post the, 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 the piece that is going to, you think, you know, you've been fearing your whole life. And it's going to, yeah. you, you think it's going to change the way people think about you. And that was a moment that I really looked back a year ago that, that affected me, even though it was about a friend of mine, um, as, you know, you can, you can, you have to be who you are. I let, listen, Mike, one of the toughest things to be in this business is yourself. The business kind of almost asks for you to be an exaggeration of yourself or an idealized version of yourself or an imagined version of yourself. We like cartoon characters. It's fun. It's fun if somebody, you know, is a cartoon character. But as long, longer I've been in this business, I kind of demand, you know, people and demand myself, I demand myself, I should say, to, to be real. And, and those two instances I just brought up 
are about being your real self, being your true self. That's not always comfortable. It's not comfortable yeah. when people are saying, what's that black smudge on your face? Um, yeah. And you can imagine that they're saying it with some sort of disdain, or maybe they're just not even aware of, of what Ash Wednesday is. And um, th- Those are real moments, though, and I think that's the type of um, – television I like or the type of, you know, media I like. And that's the type that I, I want to continue to turn out. Yeah. Cause you're out there. I mean, it's you and that's not even, you're out there every single day in front of people. And that's most of the time without the ashes. And then all of a sudden you're, you're out there and, and that that's, it's not always the easiest thing. I, I totally can uh, relate to just sort of that publicness of, of trying to be yourself. It's not always the easiest balance that's out there. I, I'm glad you brought up the Ash Wednesday. You and I both went to Fordham. It's a it's a Jesuit university. I didn't realize this until the other day when I knew you were coming on, but you went to a Christian Brothers high school, as did I. I mean, we didn't go to the same one, but I, I was unaware of that, which leads me to, to think about sort of that mission and, and sort of what you like to do away from from the office and from the studio, but I know you're actually you're really involved in the community. Um, I know you've been been helping a lot of the homeless at a church that was named after you as well in at St. Anthony's. But <laughs> I always but, wanted to go to St. Anthony's. It's a church with my name written all over it. So we have we have St. Anthony's of Soho. It's the church. Uh, I mean, maybe this is too old of a, of a movie for you, but in my family, the movie Moonstruck is the movie we go to on on you know big ticket. Holidays and things like that. Yeah, Cher plays yeah. an Italian. Nick Cage is in it. It's it's a good Italian American movie. Yeah. And um and, she, and when she goes to confession, she goes to confession in St. Anthony's. This is the church I go to now. The church where Francesca was baptized last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we do we do uh, a homeless outreach, uh, the Joy J initiative, and um you know it's it's something. My baby's a year and a half right now. She's very young, but I put her in that stroller and we go out. And when we go out and we meet people, and it's not just about giving a green bag that's full of, you know, socks and clothes and food and and the McDonald's gift card that everybody loves. That's the number one thing in there. Um, It's about having a a real moment with somebody. And and something that we've learned with 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 our group is, you know, when you're out on the street, it's you know, you're you're there for you're there for a lot of reasons and, and a lot of terrible reasons, but you don't have to be there forever. And what you were, what you're lacking, besides a home, of course, is those normal human interactions, and that's something everybody needs. People need to be talked to like they're there. You need to be there. You need to be seen. You can't be invisible in the world, and that's something that you know. Hey, when Pope Francis came to this country, I remember he, he was in D.C. He had lunch with the homeless. That was, that was one of the first things he did. I mean, he met with the president, but he spent time with the homeless having lunch with them. And it's about having moments that, that, that they need to have. We, we all need to have those human interactions. And for me, that's something that, that our group is trying to do. That, that's really important for us. Yeah, I know it's a great example for your daughter. I'm sure your wife is is extremely proud, and I'm, I'm sure your family is as well. Not only the success that you have on a professional level, but the type of person you are. And uh, Tony, it is awesome to have you on the show. It's great to catch up with you as well because I, I I keep seeing you on TV, and, yeah, and I don't get to each see other. You. We saw each other about a year ago, but I've been checking yeah. you out. You know, I'd like to get my uh, get my Pac-12 on. You know, yeah, make sure we're yeah. covered when uh. When Bill Plaschke and Jay Adon, they want to have a West Coast bias on Around the Horn. So uh, we'll, we'll that's, take that's that. one of the things I love. But again, we, to say I got, 
I got my guys out there too, my sources out there, so that's good. Yeah, there, there's, there are sports that do happen on the West Coast, which is always uh, fun, which I learned that that wasn't necessarily the case before. I got, got out to the West Coast and I said, oh, wait a second, I guess there is that East Coast bias. And it was cool because you guys actually used um, our studios during Super Bowl week. I saw you up on, it was weird, on my office yeah. is right across from our control room. I look up and I see Tony up there. I'm like, oh, okay, and uh, which is you always know, pretty you know, cool. That, you should have sent that share. You could have had 30 seconds of FaceTime. You could have won. I know a guy. I could have made it happen. I know a guy. <laughs> I think they tried to embargo me from uh, making sure that no, that the the set was exactly where yeah, where it was before uh, before the other guys got in there. But Tony, in all seriousness, it is awesome to have you. It's great to have you on the show, and and obviously give me a few minutes as well. So continued success, my man, and and hopefully I will see you very soon on the East Coast, or even better yet, right, yeah, bring the family out west. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Let's do that, Yammer. All right, uh-huh. good. Oh, truly awesome to have Tony on the show with us. Uh, looking forward to next week's show as well. One of the um, one of my colleagues at the Pac-12 Network, she is an analyst. She is currently playing in the WNBA. You'd be hard-pressed to find another individual who has accomplished more than she has uh, at the college level. Three Final Fours at Stanford. Basically, every honor that you can get in the Pac-12, um, she has been able to, to earn that, not to mention the number one overall pick in the WNBA draft. Uh, she plays for the Connecticut Sun. Shania Gumake is going to be with us next week. Truly one of the most dynamic people I have uh, ever been able to to meet. And fortunately for me, uh, I've been able to work with her as well. So she's got an incredible story. Um, someone who didn't necessarily think she's going to be playing basketball growing up. Now all of a sudden is a, uh, a star uh, basketball player in the WNBA, certainly. Uh, and her sister, uh, who is not a twin, whose sister Neca also went to Stanford. Uh, great relationship that they have. So we'll go through some of that stuff, tell some stories about Stanford, and talk to her about some of the famous people that she has met. But can't thank you enough for listening. Once again, continue to rate us on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe. Um, if you use Stitcher or Blog Talk Radio, you can obviously catch the show on either of those uh, mediums. I'm not sure if everyone is necessarily a an iOS user, so there are some options for you to catch the show. But spread the word, continue to rate and review, and make sure you subscribe. If you want to give me some feedback, always welcome at Mike underscore. Yam on Twitter, or you can follow me on my Facebook page, Mike Yam.